I'm fired up to become a grandpa. It's going to be a good time. Yeah, the lesson titled Summer in the Neighborhood, I was thinking about Won't You Be My Neighbor? But I feared the young people would go, what's up with that? The middle-aged people would go, that guy's kind of creepy. And the uh, older among us would go, yeah, what was the deal with those sweaters? Uh, so anyway, I went with summer in the neighborhood instead. But, you know, it is the, it is the summer, and you get opportunities to uh, spend time with neighbors. There's more daylight. You're outside. Uh, you know, you get to connect. And you have opportunities uh, to socialize, to meet needs. And we all live in neighborhoods. And if your neighborhood's like mine, you have certain neighbors that are just kind of neighbors. And then you have neighbors that are your favorites. And those are like awesome neighbors. And you know what, when, when you have awesome neighbors, you just kind of show up. It doesn't matter what time. It depends on who has a good candy supply or whatever. But, you know, when, when, you're, when you're being a good neighbor, you just never know what's going to happen. We have a neighbor right, right next door to us named Ellie. And Ellie's just an amazing neighbor. And she came running over. I don't even know what day it was, but she had a grease fire in her kitchen. And it turns out that one of her tenants had roasted a duck earlier in the week and said they cleaned the oven. By the way, it wasn't Bruce. So if Bruce is here, don't look at Bruce. It was another tenant. And so there was all this duck fat that was just burning uncontrollably. She had a couple of baked potatoes in there, and there's just black smoke pouring out. So run over there and get the fire put out and then taking the oven apart so we can clean it. But, you know... it. It took some time, but it's, it's Ellie. She's an awesome neighbor. I mean, how can you not help out Ellie? You know, when you have those kind of neighbors, you just can't help but want to do nice things for each other. It's never an inconvenience. You're just, you're just happy to help out because you're in, you're in the neighborhood. And in Luke chapter 10, the Bible records for us a story And it says that there's an expert in the law. And it's always interesting how the Bible gives us certain details and then just leaves other things completely silent. And it starts and it says on one occasion, we're in verse 25. It says, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. So the only details that God wanted you and I to know about this interaction was that this man was an expert in the law. He knew the details, the depth of what God's word taught. He was an expert. He had credentials. But the Bible also says, hey, he stood up to test Jesus. Now, you know, when the Bible starts with that, this story is not going to end well It's just not a good idea to test the Lord. But he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, well, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? 
He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Now, if the story just ended here, we'd feel pretty good about the expert. But the expert actually does what you and I do. And it says, but he wanted to justify himself. So he takes it a step further and he says, oh, yeah, who's my neighbor? You know, that question is one that we may not ask directly, but we think. You see, because after you've quoted that passage, love your neighbor as yourself, you go, well, the expectations are pretty clear. I need to be loving to anyone that's classified as my neighbor. So, now, people like Ellie, of course. I need to be loving to Ellie because she's just an awesome neighbor. And so the expert, he wants to decipher the technicalities here. Who's my neighbor? Who am I required to be loving toward? Now, I want to back up a little bit to chapter 9 of Luke, just to kind of set the stage for the the group of people that he's going to use as an example here. And in verse 51, it says, As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven... He resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. The people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. So who were the Samaritans? Well, a short little history. They started as God's people, but they didn't want to have to travel all the way to Jerusalem. They wanted they wanted a more uh, convenient location, so they set up their own temple east of the Jordan. And they said, no, nah, we're not going to go all the way to Jerusalem. Forget that. We're going to do our own thing. And so they separated from the Jews. They became the Samaritans, and the Jews despised them. So there wasn't a lot of warm fuzzies between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Bible wanted us to know that Jesus was passing through Samaria, and the Samaritans did not welcome him, not because who he was, but because he was on his way to Jerusalem. So I'm just setting the stage for the feelings that Jews and Samaritans had toward each other. Let's just say, we're not talking about your good neighbor, Ellie. You're talking about a group of people where there's a great degree of animosity, irritation, angst, condescending, people that think differently. And it's very clear that they're wrong. So that's who the group of people is. Now we go back to the story where the expert's trying to test Jesus. And he says, and who is my neighbor? 
It says, in reply, Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he's attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. It was purposeful that Jesus used a Samaritan in his story. Why? Because he picked somebody that the Jews would have great animosity towards. And would expect the same in return. In the story, he talks about a priest and he talks about a Levite. Now, who's he telling the story to? An expert in the law. People that know what God's word says. People that knows what it teaches, knows what the expectation is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. You know, isn't it easy to say, well, of course, we need to be loving. And who among us would go, you know, when I just think about it, I am just a really unloving person. No, don't we always put ourselves in the really loving category? We can find examples in our life. We have our highlight reel of love. You know, I was super loving three weeks ago. In this situation, and here's what I did. And so we do what the expert does. We compartmentalize the expectation to love your neighbor as yourself. And we think that we can kind of pick and choose who we're going to be neighborly towards. But that is exactly what Jesus is confronting in the expert. And he says, you know, first of all, you've got to give your heart. I got a question for you. What does it take to move your heart? You know, even the hardest heart among us is moved by certain things, right? Usually it's how close in proximity we are to a certain person. We can watch tragedy on TV with complete strangers and go, oh, bummer for them. Something far less happens to a family member or a coworker or classmate, and our hearts moved, right? So we have the ability to have our heart moved, but the question for each one of us is, what does it take for you to engage your heart? The Bible says that when he saw him, he had pity. You will never love your neighbor as yourself without engaging your heart. 
Love is an action, but there's emotions involved. It cannot be some plastic, theoretical, you know, checklist item there I was loving. No, it starts with the engagement of the heart. You know, and last week I was told by people that I made you hungry by focusing on food. So this year, this this one, I, I picked animals. You gotta give your heart. Sometimes we, we just need a hug. You gotta you gotta go out of your way. You gotta protect. You know, I was thinking about who really exemplifies this? And, and I thought about one sister in particular, Sharon Brubaker. You know, Sharon, Sharon is, uh, she just gives her heart. And, you know, I've seen her in action many times, but right now I've just watched her helping out Sharon Yarbrough in that situation for our dear sister. And Sharon is doing so much, not because she's paid. Nope. It's just her heart. She just wants to help. She's a helper. She just can't help but have her heart engaged. And see, when you love that way, you just don't have a choice. You're just like living life and you see something and your heart goes out and you take pity. And you're moved to action. You know, Sharon is so motivated in that way. I don't remember how many years ago it was. She said, you know what, I, I want to start doing grief recovery. Say, so what motivated that? The pity that she has for hurting people. And she wanted to be able to help. So she went and got training. And she continues to help people in that way. You say, that's the heart that we need to have. That's the heart that our Lord had. And it's the heart that Jesus held out as an example of how to live our life. You know what the danger is, though, when you give your heart, then you're attached to the situation. You go, but if I, if I give my heart, maybe, you know, how will it be received? What if, what if the Samaritan went over to, to give help and the, the, the hurting person said, get away from me? And I wouldn't want to have to deal with that. So maybe it's easier to not try and help. Or what if my help is insufficient and it doesn't solve everything? So maybe I won't be successful. So maybe I shouldn't engage my heart because of the fear of what if I try, but it doesn't change anything. You know, we, we have all kinds of fears. We have all kinds of, of thoughts that go through our head of what's going to happen Sometimes we start and we go, if I give my heart, you know, my schedule is really busy. It is never convenient to give your heart. You know, taking pity is not a slot that you do, you know, an hour a week. You just schedule it in. This is my pity time. All hurting people I will observe and my heart will go out to them, you know, on Thursday at 8 a.m. That's my time. No, you're just living life and you see a situation. And you have to make a decision. Will you give your heart at that moment? That's the first step. Give your heart. 
You know, the second thing we got to do is lend a hand. You know, what's lending a hand is, is dealing with the urgent, the immediate. Okay, this guy was bleeding. He didn't need a lecture on why were you walking by yourself through unprotected territory. That was really unwise. Should have taken a more secure route. No. You know what? He was bleeding and needed help. You know, when, when, when you give your heart to a situation, there's, there's different stages of how you help. There is the immediate need of something has to be done right now. And, you know, I, I was thinking about lending a hand, and you know what, what struck a chord with me is the campus ministry. They've been lending a lot of hands because of Lashana's situation. She's basically kind of on almost total bed rest. And Aaron and Lashana have Levi. Lashana's about to give birth. And so, you know, it's, it'd be nice to go, we're going to have an urgent need tomorrow at 6 o'clock. So if you could just make yourself available for that. But, you know, without going into all the details of the health situation, that's just not the way it, it, it works. There's been some scheduling. But a lot of it's been, we need help right now. You know, when somebody needs help right now, you know what doesn't help? Well, um, call around if you can't find anyone else and get back to me and I'll see what I can do. Do you ever call that person back? No, you're like, no. You want the person that's just like responding. You know, the man's bleeding. What did he need? He needed wound care. He needed first aid. you got to lend a hand. You know, sometimes this is us. You know, we know we ought to be on solid ground. We know if we're a gecko or a lizard or whatever these little animals are, we should stay attached to the branch, right? A lot of times we know the theory of good living. But we find ourselves in a situation where we're detached. And we're not where we ought to be. Maybe we made one bad decision after another, after another. And what we need is a helping hand. It may be our only point of attachment. And I'll bet you anything, each one of us can identify times in our lives where we were detached. And if it wasn't for somebody else holding on to our hand, we would have fallen. Say, will you be that for somebody? Yeah, when somebody's detached, saying, I'll connect with you tomorrow, that's not going to help. You know, most, most dads know that if you're working on the car and, you know, you're all greasy and you're, you know, in the engine and you need the 916th wrench, 
as soon as this video game's done, I will get you the wrench. That doesn't help. You're not like, oh, that's awesome. I'll just wait for that infinite amount of time. You're like, I need help now. Who around you needs a helping hand? Who's in crisis right now? Who's reaching out their hand? You know, sometimes you've got to be the one to reach out first and convince them to grab it. Sometimes in life, it's another person's faith that will convince you to keep going because you're so discouraged at that point in time. So you lend a hand. You know what you do at that moment? Something. You go, I don't know everything I should do. It doesn't matter. Do something. You know, I I went through first aid in Boy Scouts. They did not tell me that if somebody's bleeding, pour oil and wine on it. But apparently, if you got oil and wine, that's how you clean a wound. I guess maybe, you know, with wine, there's some antiseptic in there of some kind. Don't know. But if that's what you got, you wash out the wound with that, and then you bandage it. But sometimes we're waiting for an expert to come along, but you're the one in the crisis situation. You go, I don't know how to fix it. It's okay. Do something, because it'll be better than doing nothing. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us what the priest and the Levite were thinking. It just says that they, they, they passed by on the other side. Maybe they were thinking, I'm not an expert in wound care. I'm sure there's a doctor or nurse coming on behind me, and they'll be more proficient. And so I'll let them take care of it. The Bible doesn't tell us what they were thinking. All it tells us is that they moved to the other side. You ever done that? Maybe you're walking down the street, and you see a homeless person who wants money. And you think, I'd like to help, but I have no cash. And so you're like, okay, I don't want to make eye contact. Okay, I'll get my phone out. I'll act like I'm texting. You know, sometimes we can do that with the people that are in our life. We hear about needs and crisis. But we we can move to the other side of the road. We can act like we don't really see what's going on. Oh, I'm just not really aware of it. But it's a purposeful distancing ourselves from somebody who needs help. Lend a hand. Do something. Engage yourself. Take action. It's much better than nothing. Lend a hand. You know, what's the third thing that Jesus puts in the story? you got to help them overcome. Now, how did... How did the Samaritan do this? Okay, this guy was beat up. He was bleeding or whatever. So the Samaritan said, okay, you sit on my donkey. I'll walk. You ride. He made his life more difficult to make the wounded soul's life easier. 
You know, that's that's what you got to do sometimes to help people overcome. You're like, I'll, I'll take responsibility. I'll, I'll make it harder for me to make it easier for you. I thought this was a great picture. Hey, I'll do the work. You just sit on my shoulders. I'll figure it out. I'll do the hard part. You just sit. You rehab. I'll do the work. You just relax. You know, it's not 50-50. You know, you ever tried to help somebody and then you feel like, well, they're not really reciprocating? You know, sometimes we're so wounded, we don't have any energy to do anything but sit there. We go, well, I tried to help and you're not really doing anything. Can you imagine the horse stopping and going... I'm doing all the swimming here. You are not carrying your weight. No, Jesus is the one that picked the details of the story. He said, I'll take on the burden. I'll do the work. It became personal. He said, I'm going to get you on my donkey. Then we're going to go to the innkeeper. And it says, and he took care of him. It became personal. You see, when you decide to help somebody overcome, you're making a commitment. You say, I'm going to help you through the process. You become attached to the situation. See, a lot of times we like um, an unattached ability to help. I like to help without any commitment attached. You know what? You don't help people overcome when you're unattached. What what life has been changed because of one good talk? You know, it's kind of like tutoring. If there's something you don't understand, okay, I'll answer one question. And then after that, you're on your own. Does that help anybody? See, are you willing to take personal responsibility? To make it tougher on yourself. To make sacrifices in your life. To make it easier on somebody else. You know, just today in a fellowship, a gentleman came up to me and said, You know what? I want to help out kids who don't have money to go to camp. He's giving many hundreds of dollars. You know why? Because he goes, I don't want anyone to not be able to go to camp because of money. And I just said, thank you. You will change a life. And he goes, I know. That's why I'm willing to give to it. You know, that's awesome. But you don't give like that if you stopped and thought, wow, you know, all these hundreds of dollars, I could do something really cool with that. What about my life and my needs and my situation? You see, when when you help people overcome, you're not thinking about 
what you're going to give up. You're, remember, you're loving your neighbor as yourself. You're helping them overcome and get to the place where they can heal. And the final thing, supply strength. And I love this. And again, Jesus is the one that told the story. And there's reasons he put everything in there. So he didn't just get him to the end. He said, you know what? Now, I'm going to come back and I'll reimburse you for any extra expense. It's like he wanted to see it through to completion. So it wasn't just I want you to heal. I want you to get fully rehabbed so you're on your feet and you're going to be victorious. And he said, I'll even take care of the future path. I'm going to come back, innkeeper, and I'll pay for whatever his tab is. How do you think the wounded man felt? Do you think he felt loved? It was kind of like in our relationship with God. The Bible says that the lamb was slain from before the creation of the world. In God's mind, Jesus died for you before one atom of the universe was created. He did not sit up there and go, well, we're going to just see how you live your life. We're going to see if you respond to the truth. And if you finally change, and you know what, if you do then I'll send my son to die for you. No, God did it all in advance. You know why? Because of his love. For God so loved the world that he gave. He acted first. And that's a hallmark of love. You know what? The Samaritan didn't know everything that was going to happen. But he said, you know what, you're going to get better. But there's going to be more involved. And so he told the innkeeper, I will come back and I'll pay the bill. He had that vision that your life is going to be different. The trajectory of your life is going to change. And I'm going to be there to see it and I'm going to pay the tab. We're not just trying to Fix people now. We want to set them up for victory. Right? And here's the picture I saw of that. There's a lot of great animal pictures on the on the internet. It's like You're just you're there. You're supplying strength and nourishment. You know, the dog can't eat while he's supplying strength to the little lamb. That's okay. You know, it's like taking little kids out to eat at a restaurant. You can't eat while you're feeding little kids. You can try. Doesn't work. And somewhere through that meal, you're going to go, now, why did I pay money to come to a restaurant again? Like, the relaxation. And you're like, you know what, McDonald's Playland is a pretty romantic dinner for a family to go to. Michael, Lindsay, you got that to look forward to. Yeah, you can't eat while you're you're feeding the child. 
you got to decide, I'm going to supply strength. I'm going to meet the needs. I will take care of it. i got a vision for where your life is going to go. You know, Jesus told this story to the expert in the law. This was all a result of one question. And, and who is my neighbor? Who do I have to love? Who am I required by God to be loving toward? And Jesus told the story. You know, I don't think it's to convince us that we need to be loving toward the people that are easy to love. They don't test our boundaries. The ones that have hurt us, the ones that have sinned against us, the ones that have embarrassed us, offended us, they think differently, they're annoying those people that Jesus had in mind. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. So where's our neighborhood? It's all over. It's where you live, where you work, where you go to school, teams you're a part of, activities your kids are a part of. It's, it's everywhere because the needs are everywhere. Say, who are we going to be as men and women? Well, Jesus said this, go and do likewise. He said, the one who had mercy. Let's be men and women of mercy. It changes lives. It makes a difference. If all of us commit to being merciful, what will our life look like? Oh, it's going to get busy. But you know what? It's amazing to help a life change. It's amazing to help somebody who was wounded get back on their feet. So, you know, right now, you have people in your life that you know that need mercy. Will you go and do likewise? Say, so what will your schedule look like today? What will it look like this week? Remember how we started? Who's my neighbor? Can I just make it Thursday at 8 a.m. to 9 a.m.? Can I just be merciful then? No, let's not be experts in the law. Let's go and do likewise. Let's not make this a part of what we do. Let this, let this become who we are as men and women. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's enjoy our summer in the neighborhood. Let's stand as we close in the final song.